Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week as Elimination Chamber, the final premium live event for WrestleMania comes into clearer view. We have an absolute ton to talk about, everything from Sami Zayn and Cody Rhodes all the way down to changes potentially for Baron Corbin and Maximum Male Models. As I said, there is every facet of WWE to cover on today's show, and we're going to break it down for you momentarily. As always here at Getting Over, as we kick off one of these episodes, it is upon me to remind you that this podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leaving those five-star ratings on Apple, taking a little extra time and leaving a five-star written review, because if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And if you noticed those sound drops sounded just a little bit clearer, that's because our setup is almost complete, but we got the component we needed to allow those to feed naturally right into the show. No longer is the Silver King holding up an iPhone to the microphone just to get some sound drops on the show. We're professional shit right now. We're making it happen. And once again, as I've noted on numerous shows uh, recently, it is all because of you are getting overheads contributing financially to the program. We greatly appreciate it. And these are some of the advancements that continue to be on the way here with getting over. I would be remiss, of course, beyond asking for the five-star reviews. If I did not remind you to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and much more. You can get it all by following us on Twitter at getting overcast. Chris, exciting times here for getting over exciting times for WWE. We got really strong offerings from SmackDown and Raw this week, and really ever since Raw 30, I just got to say Monday nights seem to have found a groove of some kind on this road to WrestleMania. Well, not only that, but we've got Nikki Bella says I do. We've got Barmageddon. We've got Bella Family Origins. Nikki Bella is all over wrestling, and I think that's the most important thing to to talk about. Not really, not really. I Who just, gives I a just, single shit to... about Nikki Bella? I just, I gotta say, as I was watching Raw, I was like, holy crap, Nikki Bella is on every other commercial for a show on E or the USA Network. So her entire life well, is a reality what I found, show. What I found interesting was they didn't have Nikki Bella says I do or the Barmageddon shit after Raw. We, we're back in the Chrisley zone already. Like, like by the I way, she was over. Yeah. Chrisley is in jail right now. <laughs> Why are they showing that after Raw? Like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I don't know. I just. It was it's ridiculous. I just wanted to open the show with something stupid like that. But yes, there is a there's things that show up after there's things that show up after wrestling, you know, shows end. So like on uh, Fox for SmackDown, it's the late local news and it's Fox. I change it immediately Um, Mm -hmm. on USA Network. Historically, you know, recently it was Chris Lee knows best. It makes me immediately change the channel. Barmageddon, when I hear that intro or any of that shit, I immediately change the channel. AEW now, it's Power Slap on Wednesdays. I immediately change the channel like as fast as I can get to the remote. But when it was like Miz and Mrs. or 
I guess maybe Nikki Bella says I do. I'd probably leave it for 30. Like I'm not going to run to the remote, but I, I was jolted because I was coming out of like a really hot main event segment of Raw, a really good episode of Raw. And all of a sudden I hear the Chrisley bullshit and I look up on, and I legitimately, I was like, what the fuck is going on? I thought this shit was over. So it was really yeah. odd. I got to tell you. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, I think Nikki Bella says that he was last week. This week was Chrissy, and I was like, "Wait a minute! I think he's in jail." I looked it up. He, I oh, think he, he went to jail in uh, in January. He's when he reported to prison. So, uh, yeah, a lot going on. But anyway, yes, yeah. uh, exciting episode of Raw and SmackDown. Uh, pretty good stuff again. And you know, when Roman Reigns is on one show, when Cody Rhodes is on the other, it feels like, hey, we're not, we're not, you know, just treading water here. Stuff's happening. That's exciting. It feels like we're on the road to WrestleMania 39. It really does. And last year at this time, it did not feel the same way ahead of WrestleMania 38. Shit was dragging last year. And a large part of that was Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey winning the two Royal Rumbles. We don't have that this year. We have people that are actually interesting and exciting. Speaking of the women's division, something else I noticed, you know, going into the Royal Rumble, we noted on the show that the women's booking under Triple H, and this is something we've been talking about for a while, it had really struggled to find its footing. And Raw 30, you know, not having the steel cage match on the show and the Bianca Belair and Alexa Bliss thing, so strange with Sonya Deville, we were basically saying WWE has a great chance over WrestleMania season to turn around the one part of its booking and storytelling right now that is truly struggling. Well, The proof is in the pudding, and the last two weeks on Raw have been strong, and this week on Raw, I thought was the best presentation that we've seen of the women's division on the main roster, both in terms of wrestling and storytelling, on a show in a long time, and that's far beyond the fact that two Hall of Famers showed up. Yeah, I agree. That that was, it it felt like a show, it was one of those Raws where, it got to the end and it was like, oh, this didn't feel like a, a, a slog. And you realize, wow, there was a lot of good women's stuff in there. The main event cage match, um, other stuff being built. You've got the returns that happened right before and in the Rumble. And this division has a lot of juice now. And we saw that on Monday. One other note before we get to the main event, we get to the good, the bad and the ugly. And we get to the last word, our brand new third segment here on the Getting Over wrestling podcast. This is actually something I've been thinking about for weeks, Chris. Do you find it frustrating that WWE on Raw and SmackDown keeps directing viewers to social media to watch old WrestleMania goes Hollywood videos rather than creating new ones? Like WrestleMania 21 was nearly two decades ago in 2005. And yes, that makes me feel old as shit. But there's 20 years worth of movies plus TV shows and other old movies that they never parodied. There is so much that WWE could have done with this crop of talent creating a new swath of these videos. It seems to me like a massive missed viral opportunity to just go with these old ones, including some characters that people don't know, rather than create new ones with current superstars. Well, I think they still can. We've got two months. We don't know for sure that they're not. They may They may show those up after Elimination Chamber or something like that. But uh, it's a mix. Like, I was out of wrestling at that time. I've seen the clips in the time since then, but there are probably a lot of people who don't remember them or or they're new to them. So, like, I get that. But, yes, I agree that they should make more of 
they should make newer ones, which I think they could. Uh, and also related slash unrelated, WrestleMania Goes Hollywood is incredibly corny, and I'm kind of annoyed at of that. Of course uh, it's corny. That it's on yeah. the sign. Like, it's fine as the tagline, but like to have Goes Hollywood on the sign. Correct. Looks kind of corny and cheap to me. What's what's frustrating is the logo is beautiful with the exception yes. of Goose Hollywood. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, Chris, that was a good way to get into this show. Uh, we will see. Maybe they're going to surprise me and create some of these videos with current superstars. And, and they're using these to kind of lead into those. But hey, time, it's shortening up and we are on the road to WrestleMania 39. You would think, or at least I would think, that they would start already. Nevertheless, okay, we have... A ton of show to get to today. We have a double main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the second edition of our new segment, The Last Word, which I'm still going to have to find a sound drop or something to lead into that. We'll worry about that another time because, Chris, it is time to start this edition of Getting Over, as we always do in these WWE episodes, by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. Now, as I said, it's a double portion of the main event. All in some way surrounding Roman Reigns and the bloodline, but we're splitting up SmackDown and Raw. We're going to break it all down for you and discuss the intricacies across these storylines. So the bloodline opened SmackDown, walking into the arena without Jey Uso. He was notably absent. Roman Reigns ignored Kayla Braxton with Paul Heyman refusing to comment on Jey's status. In the locker room at the top of the hour, Jimmy told Roman he hasn't heard from Jey since the Royal Rumble. Reigns called the lack of communication disrespectful, even beyond the fact that Jay walked out on them. Roman pressed again. Jimmy repeated himself, but he was sure Jay would eventually arrive. Reigns was incensed. He demanded they search for their older brother. Later, Heyman and Jimmy told Roman Jay was unreachable. They can't find him. Reigns was frustrated given like this burden that he's now carrying and the way everything was going to plan until recently. He then apologized for speaking down to Jimmy and Solo Sokoa, saying he needed them as strong as ever. He told them Heyman got high-end catering for them in the bus so they could go enjoy that while he handles business in the ring. So Reigns came out. Obviously, he was the main event. Fans chanted for Sammy. They booed Roman. Then they chanted for Sammy again. Reigns said he'd rather talk about Cody Rhodes, who actually won the Royal Rumble and deserves his attention. Roman claimed at War Games he saw greed in Sammy, who used him and the bloodline. He tore down the crowd until Zayn attacked him in a black hoodie to a massive reaction. Roman quickly took him down and got a chair, but Zayn hit him with a fucking spear to an explosive pop. Then he went out to use the chair when Reigns ran away with his eyes kind of bugging out of his head. Sammy said Roman was wrong. He never wanted anything from him until now, and what he wanted was the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Jimmy and Solo attacked him from behind with a superkick and a Samoan spike. Reigns stopped Sokoa from hitting the hip attack with the chair around Zayn's neck. Fans loudly chanted, we want Jay. Reigns removed the chair and off mic, blamed Sammy for Jay's absence and breaking up the bloodline. Roman then accepted the challenge only because he wanted to break Sammy in front of his family and his friends in Montreal at Elimination Chamber. Chris, what else are we supposed to say about this storyline without being repetitive in our analysis. WWE right now is like Barry Bonds with this. It's a homer every week. The only question is whether it's a solo shot, no pun intended, a two-run dinger, or a grand slam. Royal Rumble was a grand slam. This, for me, was a three-run bomb. What we got Friday was exceptional. The immense gaslighting in the first segment backstage, 
the line from Roman, well, you're not going to find him in the couch. That's perfect from a guy who has five kids at home that he's trying to deal with, right? And he wants them to do their chores and do what he says. Reigns expert mic work giving Cody's challenge credence and relevance while playing into the Sammy chance and ensuring the entire crowd aligned with Zayn, including anyone who might have possibly still been rooting for Roman. This was also Roman like reverting back to his initial headspace, like when he first returned, the fans finally began acknowledging him wholeheartedly, only to now turn on him again the second Sammy showed a little bit of gumption. That whole thing's going full circle. Then WWE engineered a triple pop for Sammy with the attack, the hoodie reveal, and the spear counter, the latter of which was second in terms of loudness, maybe to only the chair shot at the Rumble. And then you have Roman's organic and improvised trash talk after the beatdown, infusing the fans' natural chance for Jay into the family breakup dynamic and parlaying all of that into why he accepted the challenge in Montreal when he otherwise might not because he wouldn't see Sammy as a deserving challenger. This is top-tier storytelling, and it provides like a sensible reason not only for the match to happen, but for it to go down in Montreal rather than at WrestleMania as some wanted and as we've discussed ad nauseum here on the podcast. There, there, are, there are so many little good things in this. that you, Like, you went over some of them. Like, Roman saying, hey, it was one thing to walk out at the Rumble. It's been a week and we still haven't heard from him. I mm-hmm. love that because it's tough when the main A storyline coming out of a pay-per-view, we don't get it till Friday. And so, like, you kind of wonder, like, in kayfabe, like, what has Jey Uso been doing? Have they seen him? Did he, like, and they answered that. So, like, I, I really liked that. I liked um, Roman, again, getting, you know, he got the what chance early on, but he got out of it very quickly because he continues to just be excellent on the mic and, and getting out of those situations. Uh, Sammy coming out wearing what I looked like to me a tighter shirt than normal and without the tape on his wrists. And... To me, that like made him look so much more legitimate a- as a fighter. He looked bigger. He he just he looked stronger. He looked like a guy who could go face to face with Roman. I don't know why it was about that look, but but it just it jumped out to me. That was one thing. And a big point here, Sammy, two shows in a row now, he gets moments, but he doesn't get over on Reigns. Like, like he'll, he'll hit him with the chair and then he gets beat up. He'll hit him with the spear, but then he gets beat up. He's not mm-hmm. ending the show celebrating. And and, and, and so, like, that's a, a great storyline there, too. So eventually, at some point, when Sammy does stand tall at the end, it's going to it's going to be great. Roman walking back to the ring after the attack from from Jim uh, from Jimmy and Solo. He's smiling. He's like slowly taking the hair tie out of his hair. Uh, that was a great shot. The only the only thing I wondered, and it was the same thing at the Rumble, and I'm going to ask you this, mm-hmm. should Roman have said what he said at the end on the mic? No. I mean, I, I know there's something when you're in the crowd, you want to experience every part of what you're paying for your ticket to see. And I understand. it. And yes, if I was in the crowd, especially at the Royal Rumble, I would have some level of frustration to not be able to understand and fully heal hear what is happening. But then you just go home and you watch it and you're like, oh man, that's so great. Right. And you're still seeing it live happen in front of you. 
I don't think Roman said anything in that moment that changed the dynamic of what was happening. I think it was pretty clear that, you know, through the mannerisms, through the actions he took by taking the chair off of his neck and then talking shit in his face, you're not going to do that unless you're accepting the match. Why else would he really be doing that? So is something lost by being live in attendance for it? Sure. But it comes across so much better on camera at home. And really, we have an apples to apples comparison for this, Chris, because Roman did this off mic. And then Monday night on Raw, we'll talk about it, obviously, in a little bit. uh, Cody picked the mic back up to his face when he was standing across from Paul Heyman and said those final two lines in the mic. Now, the crowd did pop, but I don't know. I think that was more necessary because he was directly referring to WrestleMania. But it was it was different. The crowd popped. I don't think it was some like explosion that made it seem like he had to do that. If Cody had done that off mic to Heyman, to me as a viewer at home, and let's not forget, they might have 10,000 in an arena. They have 2.5 million watching at home. That's the audience you're catering to. They're buying Peacock. They're going to pay the money to go fly out to WrestleMania. That You want it to come across better to them than anyone else. I think they made the right decision and continue to make the right decision with Reigns and the Bloodline storyline, some of it happening off mic. Cody, I don't think it took away from that moment, but to me, it paled in comparison to just the intensity. Think about the comparison just as well between Cody doing this with Heyman, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and when Samoa Joe cornered Heyman and said all that shit off mic to him as well. So to me, a a great difference between the two. I just often listen to promos and segments kind of with a WWE mindset of, Mm -hmm. is that going to be in the hype video before the match? And Roman saying, all right, Sammy, I'm going to beat you up in Montreal in front of your town. I accept your challenge. Like, you know, like that's something you always have in the package before the match. And so we didn't get that here. And we did get that a ton with Cody, which we'll talk about in a minute. They kind of did that whole thing for that. So that's just, that comes to mind when I think of the mic in the moment, as I'm watching on TV, it's fine, but sometimes you get a pop out of the crowd. Sometimes you get a great moment that you repackage into a video or something. Uh, I just think about that a lot. No, I think that's fair. And my only slight criticism really of this segment is I'd have loved to have heard Sammy explain what was obviously an extremely tough decision to turn on Roman and the bloodline. Now, given the intensity in which the segment was booked, there was really no opportunity for him to do that. Now, as long as Sammy gets mic time next week to lay out his case, we need that loose end tied up. Like what actually went through his head two Saturdays ago and why is he going after the championship? Now, I know why he's going after the championship. It's because it's the only thing that Roman actually cares about. He doesn't really give a shit about his family. He just uses them as a means to an end. But I want to hear Sammy say that. And I want Sammy to explain, I was with you and you strung me along and I did everything I was supposed to do, but you took it too far, blah, blah, blah. You really want that on the next show. We didn't get it because instead they did the surprise attack. That's okay. But I'm hoping with a very short build, let's not forget, I think there's only two SmackDowns left now until Elimination Chamber. I need that from Sammy Zayn this week. Agree. And I think we will get it. And I think the fact that the challenge has been made, I think the sneak attacks are kind of done mm-hmm. like it's set so i think in kayfabe roman who runs the show would be okay with sammy going out there and not just attack him the second he sees him so i, I do think we get that this week yeah that would be nice and i also want to give some credit to the greenville crowd here because the show yes. was sold out and they were on fire for this entire segment 
the massive pop that Kevin Owens is going to get when he saves Zayn at some point is going to be amazing. And the nuclear heat that Roman is going to get after beating Sammy in Montreal, it's going to make Cody an absolute monster babyface one month later. It may wind up being the best reaction WWE gets for a heel in Montreal since Canadian Stampede. I don't mean in Montreal I, reaction. I mean anywhere, but they just, of course, happen to be in Montreal. Yeah. And Sammy may get the best babyface reaction, like coming to the ring and in his you know hope spots. Maybe since CM Punk at 2011 Money in the Bank in Chicago. Right. It's yep, going to be epic both ways. Yep, that was my thought on, on both of those is going back to that moment. And one last thing about generally the, the Roman's reaction and the reason he accepted it and the reason he was upset. Mm-hmm. He's not upset that he got hit with the chair. He's not upset he got uh, embarrassed on TV. He's upset because Jay turned against him and left. That's why Roman's upset. That's like the moment we didn't, nobody really talked about enough at the Rumble, but it fits the perfect storyline that he's most upset about Jay walking away and Sammy doing that more than anything else. It's such like a little detail that kind of changes the focus of the story to make it that much deeper, really. Well, he's upset at, at Sammy cracking the facade that he's built. And you have to remember, Jay was the initial true believer. He's the one. Right. Jay is still, to this day, the only one, I'm trying to remember back here, he's the only one that Roman had to physically and mentally break to get him to join. So Luzakoa, you know, as far as we know, just willingly joined up. Jimmy um, had to be convinced, but it didn't take a lot of convincing. They kind of actually left that, they left a lot of meat on the Jimmy bone. They, they didn't kind of do it that much. But Jay, he broke him physically. He still wouldn't quit. And then it was only when Jimmy came to the ring and was injured and prone and Raymond, thre- uh, Raymond <laughs> Reigns threatened to choke him out, suffocate mm-hmm. him, whatever he was doing in that moment. I'm forgetting exactly what it was. C- create immense pain for Jimmy that Jay said, I can't let you do that to my brother. I'm, I'm succumbing to your will. You know, I'm your right hand man. I'll join the bloodline, that whole deal. So it's always been Jay. And that's really the other point I wanted to make here. I thought it was genius leaving Jay off this show for a couple of reasons. One, there's a tag team title match next week. So now we have all this intrigue going into SmackDown on Friday, not just about the title match, but is Jay even going to show up or is Jimmy going to be by himself? And if Jimmy is by himself, what happens? Does Solo kind of step into that role? When does Jimmy come back? Huge questions there. I do think the booking going forward is pretty clear. Jay probably returns Friday for the title match, but remains aloof when it comes to Roman. Maybe they do like an injury angle with Jimmy if he can't go to Montreal. We don't know whether he will or will not be allowed to uh, by the government. Then, as we discussed last week, Jay reluctantly saves Roman in a surprise at the chamber. Anger Sammy. They do the tag team title match at WrestleMania. They lose the titles. And maybe the story culminates with Roman Jay at SummerSlam or maybe even before that. Because win or lose, Roman Jay can be the start of Reigns that doing that baby face turn that we've talked about. Like you have to, we, they, we've said this, or I've said this for years upon years, they had to make Roman the worst heel possible so they can make him the ultra baby face that they've always wanted. And they're now at the point of this story where they're wrapping it up. They have Sammy, they're going to have Cody, but Jay is always going to be out there. They have to wrap up that final deal as well. And you can do that by, putting him in a situation where Roman completely loses his family 
and has no choice but to put it back together the opposite way he did initially. The whole story to me just seems to be set up really well. And as we're about to discuss from Monday night, I legitimately do not remember the last time I've been this confident that WWE knows exactly what it's doing Mm -hmm. when it comes to booking and storytelling. They're operating right now at an insane level that we have not seen from them in decades. Yes, this is why I don't really care about the Sammy versus Cody debates that everybody's having online. Oh, they're ridiculous. They're going to get it right. I fully believe they're going to get it right. They're going to get it right. They're in the process of getting it right. Show by show, week by week. Yes, and and that's why it's totally different, and it's why you don't have crowds. They can chant Sammy, but they're not rebelling against Cody. Like, and Cody knows this. We'll talk about it now. Yep, they know what they're doing. Great way to lead into the second part of our co-main event today, which of course was Cody Rhodes on Raw. Now he opened our three, and there were light Sammy Zayn chants. Uh, Cody was completely hoarse voice-wise. He probably did way too much media and traveling this week. I have to make that assumption. Uh, Rhodes played to the crowd. He said, it seems more and more like he might fight Sammy, not Roman, at WrestleMania. He called Zayn a friend and wished him the best. Heyman interrupted, saying they were busy last week, which is why it took him and Reigns so long to officially and formally congratulate Cody on winning the Royal Rumble. They shook hands. Cody talked about the Rhodes being broke in 2000 when Heyman promised to put Dusty on ECW and pay him well. Fans chanted for Dusty. Paul started crying. Cody respected him from one disruptor to another. Fans then chanted, thank you, Paul, as Heyman gave Cody credit for throwing him for a loop by going personal and getting emotional in this confrontation. Paul was touched, but he said, look, it's not about me. It's not about Dusty. It's about you, Cody. Heyman said, Rhodes must not only ensure his dream doesn't become a nightmare, he has to beat Reigns who, of course, he's saying is the greatest of all time, to do it. Then Heyman reminded Cody that down the road in the WWE Performance Center, Dusty trained most of today's greats, including Roman Reigns, but not Cody himself. And then in their last conversation, Paul revealed Dusty said Cody was his favorite son, but Roman Reigns was the son he always wanted. And then he dropped the mic. Cody got right in his face. He grabbed Heyman's hand forcefully in a shake, And this is where he put the mic back up to his mouth. He said, he's just trying to win a wrestling championship and everyone keeps making it personal. He said, Heyman won't pay for it on his own, but Reigns will when Cody takes the titles personally. Now, we throw a lot of accolades around on this podcast. And we just gave a lot of flowers to what we got Friday night on SmackDown. But this was expert level promo work, expert level storytelling Expert level business from Heyman and Cody. If you are a longtime wrestling fan and did not get emotional at least once, if not twice or maybe three times during that segment, I don't know what to tell you. This was Heyman at his absolute best. This is why he's a legend on the mic when it comes to creating and executing top level angles. This had Heyman's fingerprints all over it. And when you remember, he's now doing two of these simultaneously. And when I say he's doing two of these, he's helping book and strategize the Sami Zayn storyline and the Cody Rhodes storyline. It's astounding what he is helping accomplish. This segment should be used in the WWE Performance Center and any other training facility for professional wrestling 
to teach wrestlers how to do in-ring confrontations. It was top-tier shit. There is so much I want to discuss. First, the mastery of both men on the mic. They played the crowd like a fiddle. And credit to Orlando, because the fans on Monday were tremendous. You had Cody stop in his tracks when he heard maybe 10 fans lightly chanting for Sammy. So he points at them mm-hmm. and then waits a few seconds. So a few hundred people start chanting it. So it's audible. It gets picked up by the microphones and then he can address it. Then yep. you had the organic dusty chant that I don't know whether they expected it in that moment, but they paused there to raise the emotion of the segment. And then you had Heyman who was legitimately emotional crying, but knowing what was coming in the segment, he paused again and looked at the crowd when they chanted, thank you, Paul, just so that the dagger that he was about to stab Cody with had even more poison on it two minutes later. It was a fucking masterclass in mic work and crowd work. So much was accomplished here. The elephant in the room that is Sammy was recognized and respected. Cody's personal storyline got taken to a second level, which was badly needed. The industry disruptor line was a great ad. I, it put both of them over simultaneously. And it's something that I never actually considered before when thinking about them. What he said was obviously accurate. And then beyond that, Cody's character added multiple layers to make this journey about more than just winning the title. This is what the mania build sorely needed. And while it was a bit more about Heyman and Cody than Cody and Roman, it shouldn't be tough to transition into that eventually. It was an excellent start to the real main event build. And without Reigns even in attendance, they accomplished so much, really as much as they possibly could, in selling the viewers on this as the proper WrestleMania main event, no matter how much you may like Sami Zayn or want Sami Zayn to win the title. This was a segment of the year contender. And when someone asks you, why do you watch professional wrestling? You're going to pull up this clip and say, this is why. This is why we always said that Cody and AEW was doing the WWE thing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't quite hitting because it's a different crowd. And it always felt like Cody had to come. What Cody was doing just didn't fit in AEW. And so he comes back to WWE, does the same stuff he was doing there. And it's it's just it's hitting different. He's got the crowd in the palm of his hand now. Um, I, I love that they are slow playing this in that we haven't gotten Cody and Roman face to face. They've they've now talked about each other. They've mentioned each other, but they're not going to get face to face until I, I have to imagine until post elimination change. The Monday, so hopefully the Monday after elimination. Change. Right. Yeah. You, you'll you'll have you'll have uh, Heyman handle some stuff for now. You know it's out there, and we're going to tease it and make you want it, but we're not going to quite give it to you yet. And so then when we get it, when we get Cody and Roman face-to-face, it's going to feel huge. And my fa- so a couple things on, the, on this promo, what they talked about. In general, wrestling fans, we don't know the Dusty Rhodes story like we do Ric Flair, like we do... Stone Cold Steve Austin and all these other legends. Mm. I, I don't as much. You just, hey, he was in NWA. He did all these different things. Had, had a couple notable feuds for Horsemen and stuff like that. But there aren't 10 Dusty Rhodes documentaries like there are 10 Fair. Ric Flair yes, documentaries. There, it's not year, a focus as much. Every right. year there's right. another new Ric Flair documentary. And so a lot of us 
are learning the dusty story more detailed for the first time through Cody, right? Through this ECW story, which I didn't think about or really know about at the time. Uh, Tommy Dreamer uh, posted a, a, a clip of him and I think it was him and Dusty in ECW uh, after Cody did this. So like, Cody, oh, we, but just so you know, for anyone who's listening, yeah. we tweeted the segment that was referenced here. So go to yes, yes, getting yes. overcast. You can watch oh, okay. the segment that they were referencing. There you go. So like Cody is, it, it, it's kind of beautiful in that like one of Dusty's legacies is going to be Cody potentially winning the championship. And I think that is just so cool that Cody's not just like, Hey, I'm my father's son. I'm doing like, there's a story there and he's telling us a story to people who maybe don't know about it. Some people who only watch WWE, maybe only know Dusty Rhodes as always oh, a former world champion, feuded with a Ric Flair and he had the polka dots. And that's like, that's all they know. Whenever they honor Dusty in WWE, he's got polka dots. Like the, the, and so Cody's telling us more of that story, but Paul Heyman delivered what I thought was the best line of the segment, which was, this isn't about your dad. This is about you. And that's what it is. Cause there's this whole meta story going on for a lot of people, including me, which is to me, this story isn't Cody doing this for dusty. For me, the story is, Cody quitting WWE, going out on his own, creating AEW mm -hmm. and coming back and becoming a conquering hero, which Cody alluded to, talked about being a disruptor, went somewhere else, yada, yada. So like there's kind of two different stories going on here and they both told those stories here. And that's why that segment just was absolute wrestling brilliance. And, and to some degree, man, it's a shame that I mean, I know he's happy and good for him, but it's a shame that Dustin Rhodes is with AEW, because if you could add further to the familial element and have the Usos take him out or Roman Reigns, put him in a cast or, you know, whatever, and put him in a wheelchair going into this show. I mean, they could really up the ante if Dustin was available to, to do this if, entire thing. If Cody like if Cody wins a title, you want Dustin there with him. Oh, you want like, him coming out for the hug. Ugh. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe like. Like, I don't know, no maybe it, no if, if, to, if Tony and Cody really are on good terms, not that good, maybe, but ugh, I don't know. By the way, something that really popped me, you want to talk about hard times data being reliant on an ECW paycheck from Paul Heyman actually cashing in the year 2000. <laughs> that's hard times data. Like, yeah, I, I heard that. I was, I was like, and a cat, I thought, I thought I really did think for a moment Cody was going to go, we needed that money or we were going to, you know, we had a hundred dollars on our Wachovia uh, checking account. That was, that popped me too. A Wachovia reference really dated. Um, and we, we deposited that check and it didn't cash Paul. Like I, I there was a chance. I thought that's what was going to happen. It was popping. Me. Yeah. One element I was surprised they didn't mention. And you're talking about, you know, you personally not knowing a lot about dusty story, which is okay. There's a lot of wrestling fans that are new or, you know, started in the Attitude Era and just didn't really research or learn a lot about what happened before. And that's all totally fine. But one element I was surprised they didn't mention was Dusty let Heyman join production meetings when he was younger to like learn the business, learn how to develop storytelling and angles and all that type of stuff. And Paul's mentioned this in multiple documentaries. It probably may have been a little bit too fourth wall breaking for them to do in the segment. But Paul's talked a lot about it. And 
you know, it's a one of the reasons for his success is a lot of the people who he was able to brush elbows with when he was younger, Paul Heyman. And Dusty was certainly one of those people. That is one of the reasons why he repaid him or tried to repay him in that moment in 2000 by giving him the opportunity with ECW. And of course, everything kind of transpired from that. The other thing that's interesting, just a small dynamic as part of this entire thing, is you, everyone has to remember, you know, obviously Cody is Dusty's son. Um, the Samoans and Roman Reigns family was extremely close with the Rhodes. Paul Heyman is close with the Rhodes. Triple H, obviously, when he started NXT, Dusty was his guy that he wanted to, to lead the entire performance center. Triple H is massively close with Dusty Rhodes. So this is not so the story is about Cody and you are right that it was smart. that They put the concentration on Cody, but Dusty's going to be a major part of this all the way through because this is really the opportunity. I'm guessing that Triple H sees WWE have to honor Dusty Rhodes the way he always should have been honored, which, as you mentioned earlier, is right in line with Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. He is legitimately a legend of that era. This guy moved. You want to talk about moving tickets to shows? Dusty Rhodes, back in the day, moved tickets to shows. He did business. And that's why it was so exciting for me. When you're talking about doing business, to see Heyman and Cody together here, executing it the way they executed it. They did major business on Monday night. It was the best segment of Raw. and. I mean, we're all we're in February, mid-February, and WWE has three of the best segments that I've seen in the last what ten years of professional wrestling, maybe longer. It's it's wild. They they are they are peaking. And look, I, at the end of it, the you were Dusty's favorite son, but he liked Roman more. Like that was kind of that didn't quite hit for me, but well, it didn't matter. Like you, you had to tie you had to tie it back to Roman Reigns at the end somehow. And so, like, it was fine. But that's it, the thing. It, it didn't have to be real. Like, it's just Heyman yeah. saying, hey, you know, it's, it's great that we're all emotional and having a good time. But just so you know, you know, still the tribal chief over you. Like, let's not forget what, what the situation is. So yeah. I like that. I mean, I sure it wasn't real, but it played. Yeah, you had to tie it back. You had to remember, oh, by the way, this is about Roman Reigns and wrestling and the championship match. And, right. th- and that's how we're getting to it couple more items here, a couple DMs and something else before we get to the good, the bad, and the ugly and the rest of the show. Gimmick A Rest, W-R-E-S-T, at Gimmick A-W. He wrote in, uh, has anyone potentially held two storylines to the cinematic levels that Roman might with the bloodline, Sammy, J and now Cody? So first of all, it's really three storylines. It's J, Sammy, and Cody all separate. But while Jay and Sammy have reached those levels, Cody's not there yet. I mean, they haven't even spoken to one another. It's on the road to being an all-time storyline stretch in wrestling history. And that's why I thought the segments were so good this week. They tossed gasoline on two fires that are near each other, but somehow kept them separated while simultaneously burning white hot. That is very difficult to do. It, it's it's hard to just carry two feuds anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. you think back to the Ruthless Aggression era when you had one champion on two shows and you kind of had to do two at a time, but like, yeah, this is just such at another level, unlike anything we've seen before. I, you know, I, I, I'm sure there were moments in the Attitude Era when Stone Cold was cheating with, you know, the, the corporation and, and some other thing or something like that, but but never to this extent. And that is an absolute credit 
to Roman Reigns mm-hmm. and the people writing these stories. Paul Heyman obviously plays a big role. Um, everything's hit. Like it just continues to hit. You just you add Cody on top of an all-time great storyline and we're into that too. And that's hard to do. Like it, it would be really easy to cool the flames by throwing Cody into this and that's not happening. And that's all. It's gotten hotter, right? It, And we all, and look, we spoke about this on the podcast leading into the Royal Rumble. We talked about it multiple times. We never said, I think we were, I don't want to say we're one of the few shows not to say it, but there was a lot of talk on the IWC that everyone wants Sammy. It should be Sammy at WrestleMania. Cody's going to get booed because of Sammy and Sammy's going to be Daniel Bryan and Cody's going to be Batista. Like there was a lot of talk about that. We didn't say that on our show, but we said, we, we wondered, we thought, Hey, is it possible? Is WWE setting itself up for a situation like that? But ultimately, I think you and I both agreed Cody started at WrestleMania last year so white hot and he ended at Hell in a Cell with the torn pack in that moment so white hot that him coming back, winning the Royal Rumble, all that, you know, the Sammy stuff, it's exciting. People love it, but it's going to be pretty easy to make that transition to Cody as long as they do a good job telling the story. Well, guess what? Monday night, they could not have kicked off this road to WrestleMania story any better. They absolutely nailed it, knocked it out of the park. And anyone who is still holding on to that idea that Cody's going to get booed or he's not going to get over, you're kidding yourself. Simple as that. Yeah. Like, I know some people saying, oh, I'm going to get bored of Cody, yada, yada. Like, it's not for everybody. Again, yeah, Cody was Cody wasn't for everybody in AEW and a lot of that crowd. But Cody with the WWE crowd is so incredibly over. This is not 2014 again. Like it's a different time, a different fan base in in, in large part. And Cody's going to make it work. You have to remember also one of the reasons that the tail end Cody and AEW stopped working is because they were telling a story with Cody where naturally he should have gone heel at Mm -hmm. some point in that storyline. He didn't and wouldn't. The crowd was trying to force him to. So they were butting heads against, you know, reality and what crowd expectation. And in AEW, and this has certainly happened numerous times in WWE historically, but in AEW, that's a killer because that entire crowd is smart. And, and that's okay. You know, we watch the product as well, but that's a killer over there. In WWE, he's not on the same storyline that he was when he ended his time in AEW. He's a pure white meat John Cena level babyface right now in WWE. And that is the character that best fits Cody. They're telling that story and they're executing that story. In AEW, they weren't telling that story. And that was part of the problem. Yes. One, uh, did you have one? Uh, did you have another DM? I have another over? DM and then one other okay. topic to discuss. Yep. But yep. All right. Well, Go let's ahead. get to it. Uh, Anthony Brown at Anthony Brown underscore junior. He said, Do you think Sammy should have challenged Roman to be head of the table? rather than for the titles, because we all know it's going to be Cody and Roman at Mania. It would make the story better with Roman possibly having to fall in line under Sammy and Jay coming back to co-sign the match. So, you know, with respect, absolutely not. Like, you have to remember, Reigns being head of the table is a means to an end. It's to get his family in line under him, to, to increase his power and protect him, insulate him with the championships. Sammy has already shattered that facade of the bloodline. Becoming head of the table is meaningless to Sammy. He's not Samoan. He's not going to be the tribal chief. Sammy's going after the only thing Roman actually cares about, and that's 
power from being undisputed WWE Universal Champion. That's the way to actually break him. And that's why, as I said earlier, I wanted Sammy to get more mic time to explain that, but I hope he gets it this week. If you're going to do Sammy versus Roman, you got to do it for the titles. Like it just, it, it, it would feel like a cop out if you didn't. Also to that point about breaking up the table, Roman came out on SmackDown with a new shirt. Pretty sure it was a new shirt. It was. was just it was just him and Paul Heyman. Mm-hmm. It did not have the table. It did not have anybody else in there. So, um, yeah, if if you're going to do Sammy Roman, you got to put the titles on the line. Otherwise, it feels like you're just making an excuse for something. Yeah. And lastly, just interesting kind of business related notes before we move on. You guys know we don't really talk about this a lot on the show. We, we focus on the storylines and what's happening in the ring. And of course, larger topics like the sale of WWE. But Reigns was not announced for SmackDown until Thursday. It was a 10,000 seat setup. They had about 6,500 sold. After the announcement, SmackDown sold out. So Reigns moved <laughs> one third of the total tickets on his own in about 36 hours. Cody was the top merchandise seller in San Antonio for the Royal Rumble. Then after winning the Rumble, he was announced for two house shows last week. Those shows doubled in ticket sales and made gate records for their respective towns, one of which, by the way, was Pensacola, where Roman lives. Folks, this is how you define a draw. And right now, it may not last forever. It may only be through WrestleMania season. Right now, WWE has two of them. Reigns is operating at an all-time level, and Cody has Raw feeling fresh as hell. The difference on Raw the last three weeks, and that's including Raw 30 that he wasn't on, compared to what it had been, which wasn't bad, but what it had been the prior like month or two months, it's night and day. Remember when Roman made that comment about CM Punk and said, I'm a needle mover, mm-hmm. and then he came out with the shirt about needle mover? Yep. That's legit. Proof. Like, that's real. Proof. That's that's real. Um, one. Uh, we got an agreement. Who's that? We got an agreement back there. Yeah. One other thing. I had a quick question for you. Quick pop quiz. Mm-hmm. What is the title? Roman Reigns holding both titles. What is that called? It is the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Correct. And I've seen over the past couple of days, Cody saying, calling it the undisputed title in interviews. Mm-hmm. Heyman calls it the undisputed WWE Universal Heavyweight Champion. Well, he always adds heavyweight. He, I know, but it's like it's a mouthful. And I think the branding is very. Yeah, I think the branding is just very poor for it. Um, it's it's too long. It's complicated. We've discussed this ad nauseum in terms of WWE putting the titles together when they shouldn't have so on and so forth. I think the name as it stands now, Undisputed WWE Universal Championship, is fine because that's actually what it is. But when it gets split, hopefully it just goes back to being simple WWE Championship, Universal Championship. Obviously, it won't be undisputed anymore. But that is my hope in terms of, you know, Cody wins. They split it on the following Raw. He explains why, you know, I want to be the WWE Champion reigns for way too long has held dominion over the entirety of wwe but smackdown deserves to have a champion that appears on its show every single week as well they split up the titles they could do something like they did with becky lynch where she gets screwed out or he gets screwed out of one title the universal but he keeps the wwe one um it could even be reigns who does it i mean i I don't exactly know how they would book it or cody says i'm going to defend both titles individually sure loses a match but to me you know, with Cody, that you really got to treat him the same way you treat Reigns and not the way WWE has treated babyface champions 
in the past. Like Big E after winning the title, I could be wrong, but I'm trying to think back. I think he lost a couple matches, like non-title matches or tag team matches or whatever the case, maybe via interference or disqualification. He lost some matches like before he lost the titles. That is not what you should be doing. And I would, I think it's much, if, if anyone on the roster, if you could believe anyone on the roster being willing to drop one of the titles to help the other brand and help the company, Cody's the one person where you could say, oh yeah, that tracks with his character. Yes, I, I, I would just, I would call it the undisputed, right now I would just, ever since Roman got both, I would just call it the undisputed WWE Championship. And I know they've had that technically before, but. They did, it was it's, a it's, separate it, title, yeah. It is, it's just, it's a lot cleaner, there's too many words in it, so. I agree Universal is a little bit too much. My bigger issue is that, like, when Sami Zayn sometimes says it, he flips the words. He'll say, the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship, or, yeah. you know, because yeah. no, it's so much that people, it's very tough to get it right every single time. But Paul Heyman gets it right every single time. One more thing just before we kind of keep going. I can't help but wonder how all of this would have played out if Cody did not tear his pectoral. Like, it's probably another longer conversation for another day. But who knows the chain of events that would have transpired if he, like, would he have still been well-received after all this time never going away from TV? You had the sight of him at Hell in a Cell combined with the Royal Rumble return, even if it was given away. It has him feeling so fresh and has Raw feeling so fresh. Maybe he would have worn on people if he just never had to rehab. And he's been constantly on WWE TV this entire time. Kind of like Roman with day one. It is so interesting to think about what could have or what would have happened. Yeah, maybe Sammy doesn't happen. Maybe we get sick of Cody. I don't know. It's a major, major what if. But ultimately, we're here. We got through the last year. And this is the most exciting build to a mania we've had in quite a long time. That is a great way to wrap it up so we can move on to our second segment on today's show, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. Oh, that comes across so much better with this new setup than it did previously. But folks, we are into the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to break down everything else that happened in WWE across SmackDown and Raw. Let's get started with the main event of Raw, Becky Lynch against Bayley inside a steel cage. Backstage, Becky cut a strong promo saying there's one hand she hasn't played yet against damage control, and she might have to play it later. Dakota Kai was shown in crutches before this main event at Raw. Lynch was aggressive at the bell. She killed Bailey into the sides of the cage and ranted how she mentioned her husband. Bailey escaped an avalanche manhandle slam attempt, following with an elbow drop and later a sunset flip powerbomb into the turnbuckles. Becky came back with her draping leg drop, this time off the side of the cage. Really sick spot there. Bailey then countered manhandle slam into a backdrop driver. Bailey locked in a knee bar, so Lynch crawled all the way to the door, nearly escaping. Then came an avalanche. Bailey to belly off the top rope for a false finish. Crazy spot. They straddled the top as Becky put half a disarm her on Bailey. When Bailey fell, EO Sky climbed and booted Lynch back into the ring. Kai then threaded her crutch inside with Bailey jamming it in Becky's gut. She raised it to hit her over the back when suddenly Lita returned to take out EO with a twist of fate. She put Kai into the steel steps, slammed the door into Bailey's head. Becky then caught her with manhandle slam for the win in 15 minutes and Lita immediately went inside and hugged Lynch as Raw ended. Becky and Bailey went 
all out here in a really fast-paced cage match that, sure, it would have been better placed on a premium live event with five more minutes, but for a TV cage match, it banged hard. And credit to WWE for making good by putting this in the main event and promoting it all night like the major match it was. I went four stars, A-, minus, and I would I could definitely be convinced to go another quarter star higher, but I gave it a slight deduction just because of the finish. It wasn't clean, and they, there was a lot of shenanigans. Lita's return, it was nicely teased by the promo early in the show, and they executed it well. It feels like a tag team matches ahead. Maybe Trish Stratus comes back and teams with Bailey as a heel. That would certainly be a star-studded WrestleMania match. This was super fun. It was an easy good, and it gave Becky a lot of momentum and fan support that she needed after a really rough period of creative over the last couple of months. Yeah, great match. Lots of fun. Kind of, you know, the winner you expected, Lita, coming out was awesome, and we'll talk about more of that in a second, I think. Um not really much more to say other than they gave it the main event. They gave it time. They built it up during the show. It's exactly how you want to play out a TV main event like that. And it uh, maybe doesn't close the book on that. But, but you know, there was some good heat for this. You know, the Seth Rollins stuff, the NXT stuff. Mm-hmm. I said this before Raw 30, but going into Raw 30, Becky and Bailey played this up on social media. Great. Like mm-hmm. posting old pictures from NXT and stuff like that. So uh, was I, we were disappointed at the time they didn't get to have that moment. Glad that they they got to have it here and, and and they delivered. Yeah, you know, for a match that got canceled and pushed off a show, a big show, Raw 30, it was the signature women's match on the program. For them to push it, do it in Orlando, add the NXT element, add the Seth Rollins element, and then bring Lita in. And I assume she would have showed up at Raw 30. I'm assuming that was going to be what this finish looked like anyway. I, it was really well executed. Like, you got to give... Again, we've been criticizing the women's booking a little bit. Triple H deserves a lot of credit because this one was absolutely nails. You said you had more stuff to uh, mention with Lita. Yeah, I mean, like, do we? Uh, it's got to. We got to have something with Bailey and Lita coming up now, right? I mean, she's having a match. The question is, do they rush it for Elimination Chamber? I really hope they don't, given how stacked that card already is. What I would do is if. If Trish is willing, I would have her come out somehow in Canada. Um, maybe you do some type of match for that show. Maybe it's like Lita and Becky against Bailey and Io, since Dakota Kai is hurt, perhaps. You do that match. Trish comes out at some point. You think it's to negate Dakota, but she actually turns and, and is heel. And then you wind up with Becky Lynch, Lita against Bailey and Trish Stratus at WrestleMania. That's a bomb women's tag team match i mean that's that's yeah huge uh, that's, and if they that's, could that yeah if they could execute and pull that off you have dakota kai and neo sky defended the women's tag team titles possibly against ronda rousey and Shayna baszler we've talked about wanting that those are two huge women's tag team matches plus you have your two women's um singles title matches and your women's booking is pretty much done for wrestlemania that's what i was going to uh wonder about because it was it was what was it last year we got uh yeah last year it was Becky Lynch versus Lita at in Saudi Arabia Chamber I think at Elimination Chamber in Saudi Arabia in Saudi Arabia when we knew that that was going to be a big paycheck performance and we said at the time hey Lita came back and at the Rumble that year I think it was like man Lita versus Charlotte or something at Mania would be awesome 
and we didn't get it. We just got an elimination chamber, whatever type of match. I don't really care for those shows in Saudi Arabia. So Lita coming back now it seems to be clearly we're going to set up something. Maybe it's a six woman Lita, Becky Trish versus damage control like at WrestleMania. I think that would be awesome. Uh, hope Lita can kind of get a WrestleMania return type of moment for Stratus too, potentially. Um, so that was exciting. And we, and we said, remember, we said at Raw 30, hey, why didn't they bring back our women's legends? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's for the Rumble. The Rumble, they didn't really either. Well, now we've got Lita, you know, a week later. So well, Lita was backstage and she was supposed to be on that show. So it would have been at least one women's legend, but they needed a lot more. They needed like right. three or four and they had basically. Right. Nothing. But I'm just saying it's like, so like clearly they've had this in the works now. Yes. Like, yes. So, so that's, that's exciting. You know, we, the Lita Becky match, I thought was really good. It was. Uh, by the way, it was like, man, Lita can still go. would love to see her have a mania match. Didn't happen. Hopefully we get it this year now. Like we said, Elimination Chamber is short. It's, it's a stack card already. I know they shrink WrestleMania a bit with the two nights, but that would be really cool if, if, if we can get a lead a match, potentially Trish, Trish at Mania. I think a six-woman match with damage control would be awesome. So I wouldn't do six-woman, though. That, that's not what I would do. because So Dakota Kai right now is hurt. She can't wrestle at all. Right. Do we do we know the extent? Do we do we know the extent of that? She'll be back. I think it's just an ankle. I, I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, I tried to reach out and find out more, but haven't gotten an answer yet. If I do, we'll uh, relate it here on the podcast. But it doesn't seem like it's anything serious. There's no talk of stripping the titles or doing anything like that, at least as far as I know as of right now. But they have to defend those titles at WrestleMania. You can't have them have the championships and not defend them. I think Rousey and Baszler are their plan there. It makes a lot of sense based on the booking of Rousey and them having teamed up backstage for all those weeks prior to Rousey losing the title and disappearing. That just, to me, makes way too much sense. So that's why I think you, you it's a good way to use Becky, Bailey, and two legends in a women's tag team match. So you do that separate, and you do the damage control title defense separate, and maybe you lead into that with something at Elimination Chamber. Again, where it's just a tag team match, but it's Becky and Lita against... Bailey and yeah. EO Sky, and you think that's all it's going to be, and then Trish comes in and it's enhances yeah. it. I don't know. It's pretty clear that everybody who's from Canada is involved in the Elimination Chamber card, so yeah. Would not like, be how surprised. is Trish not going to be there? She has to be. <laughs> yeah. Like, right, right, you right. have to think in some way she's there, so. All right, let's keep going here. Brock Lesnar opened Hour 2 of Raw to a huge pop. Lesnar said the Royal Rumble sucked because he not only got eliminated, but got taken out by Bobby, who has finally gotten under his skin. He said, well, here, this is what he said. I crawl into bed at night with my wife. Now, about four or five hours later, all I can think about is Bobby Lashley. (laughs) Hysterical, hysterical line. Lesnar was on one on Raw. Uh, He also offered Lashley a multi-million dollar contract for Elimination Chamber. Lashley came down looking dapper as hell, saying he's gotten over on Lesnar all three times they fought, even if he technically lost one of those matches. So this would be done on his terms after he reviews the contract. Then he poked Brock in the nose, only to get f 5 Fans loudly chanted one more time, and Brock obliged with a second F5 to end it. What was interesting here is Brock picked up the mic two different times after the F5s, and I think he was supposed to deliver like one final line, and he just never did because the crowd was so hot for the F5. He was like, eh, screw it. I'm done. I'll just walk out of here. Now, the segment was obviously good. Lesnar trying to relate to the common man early in that promo. It really hit me in the feel spot. (laughs) The my wife line that I just played, it was really fun because, look, Sable 
was a huge part of WWE. Now, she had a tough exit with WWE, but she never gets mentioned or even vaguely referenced on TV. And Lesnar bringing it up in that way was just so much fun for me as a viewer. And then you had the entire interaction with Lashley. It made sense given their feud and the stakes of what a rubber match would look like. My one problem with the entire thing, I've said it numerous times on the podcast, this feud should end at WrestleMania. Under no circumstances should it end at Elimination Chamber. There's already two chamber matches plus Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn and another big match that was announced Monday. We'll get to that. That's an absolutely stacked card with four matches set and only one or two openings left. They're doing a contract signing next week on Raw. My hope is there's an attack and it keeps someone out of chamber. Hopefully this either gets pushed to Mania or if they do hold the match at Elimination Chamber, they do a no contest or maybe Hurt Business interferes and that leads to a stipulation at Mania, maybe even the fight pit. The only reason to end this at Chamber is if the booking for Mania is Gunther versus Lesnar. And while that is a dream match I want to see one day, it is way too short notice to jam that together in a four-week window when there's a clear, lengthy build for Lesnar-Lashley on that stage. Gunther-Lesnar should be a multi-month build, not four weeks. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect here. I like, I and I also don't want to see Brock versus Bobby too many times. You know, like, we, we, we've had it, we got it once, what, back in the fall, we had the Rumble. I don't want to do an Elimination Chamber match and then a WrestleMania match, and it's like, all right, like, these guys can only do so much with each other just by the nature of kind of what they are. So keep it special. Don't do it too many times. So I don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, as as for, for Brock on the mic, it, you know, this past year, basically, ever since he came back with the beard and he's been doing his own mic stuff without him. And it's just like, man, this guy has always been so talented on the mic and they just never, mm-hmm. they never went with it. You know, you look at old clips when he'd just stand there and Paul Heyman would do all the talking and it's like, man, like we could have had a lot more. I, I think Brock's always been pretty good. Just uh, early on, he wasn't good. And then they kind of never went back to it. It's fun. Like he, he did some of the stuff in UFC back in the day too. So like uh, he's having a ball out there. That's fun to see. And I don't think we've ever, have they ever said on air that Sable is Brock's wife? Or, or, or had them together. I don't know if it's ever been acknowledged. I don't in think so, I, at least not in his modern run. Yeah, and it's kind of wild that it, it hasn't. And maybe maybe neither of them want to. Maybe Brock wants to keep everything separate. But that line just made me wonder, like, man, like. I'm pretty sure Sable, she wanted bring, a clean split from WWE and yeah, wrestling fans in that entire life. Could be which is totally, tough when you're married to Brock Lesnar. But yeah, which which is totally understandable, too. But I was just I just thought, like, man, like if Brock showed up, during one of these segments with Sable, like she'd get a Oh God, it would be, it would be, it'd be enormous. One of the biggest pops that WWE (laughs) could still do is finding a way to get Sable back on TV. Yeah. So I don't know, but it just made me think of that funny segment. Good stuff overall. By the way, how much better is Brock like working storylines, not involving world titles? I mean, I know you and I talked about it on this show for its existence. I talked about it on my old shows all the time. You don't need Brock Lesnar involved in title matches doing this stuff. He is totally revived as a character, and he is way, way, way more interesting like this than I want a championship, Brock Lesnar, you know, Paul Heyman's announced the whole thing over and over and over again for really no good reason whatsoever. Yep, it, it's uh, it's been good. 
Uh, Edge and Beth Phoenix opened Raw to a massive reaction from the crowd. Their entrance was a lot of fun because Beth was stationary on the stage while Edge ran back and forth. I thought that that was really funny. Then they're doing their pose or they're about to get into their pose on the ramp and he smacks her in the ass and she rolls her eyes and looks at him and goes, stop it while pointing at him. I thought it was a really fun, like sweet moment between a couple. Like you could see him doing that at the mall or at a concert and her doing the exact same thing. I just thought that was really cool. Uh, Edge admitted Judgment Day is his fault and put over everyone in the stable for being improved from a year ago, except Dominic Mysterio. Edge immediately responded to you still got it chance saying I never lost it. When Beth started talking, the Judgment Day men entered with Dom getting the most heat out of all three of them by far. Damian Priest totally botched his promo, which look, shit happens. Uh, I'm sure he felt awful. It was revealed Rhea Ripley was out promoting WrestleMania. Edge went off on them, and particularly Dom, suggesting he dropped his pants in jail. Uh, Beth made the mixed tag team challenge with Finn Balor accepting before the heels attacked. The Street Profits quickly made the save with Dom eating a glam slam while screaming, Mommy! To a huge pop from the crowd and from me personally on my couch. Uh, Getting the negatives out of the way, the segment was clunky as hell. Neither Balor nor Priest were strong on the mic, and both of them are usually pretty good. But compared to Edge, they just paled in comparison. It was disappointing to not get a Ripley-Phoenix stare down, which means this probably should have been booked last week when Rhea was there. But Edge was nails. Dom was hysterical, particularly during the Glam Slam sale. And overall, it was a really hot start to the show that I give a good. Yeah, I give it a good. I'm... Edge versus Judgment Day, I'm kind of tired of. Absolutely. But but what I came out of the segment realizing that I really wanted is not Edge and Beth versus Rhea and Finn. It's Edge and Beth versus Dominic and Rhea. Like, they're the two together. Like, Dominic yeah. and Rhea are the team. They're the, not couple, but they're the partnership. Edge and Beth are the partnership. I know it's Finn Balor and we love Finn Balor and everything. But you have, but, you have Dominic and Ray. Like, that's going to happen. It's so much better. Yeah, it is. But I I, I, I disagree because I think Dominic and Rhea as a tag team is something I want to see. And maybe they do that heading, maybe they do that like next week or something like that. I, I don't know. But I, I just was thinking like, man, like, Dominic's getting all the heat for the judge. Dominic and Rhea are getting the heat for the judgment day. Dominic specifically in this segment. Yes. Like, like he's the one who has the attention and the, 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 the reactions and everything. And it just felt like he should be in this match, even though I understand, I understand the storyline, everything, but I don't know. I it's, it, it felt like it would be a bigger reaction. And we got that when Montez Ford threw Dominic into the ring and, you know, like people want to see Dominic get his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. It just felt like that'd be a better, better uh, match to book. Fair enough. Is, what is your grade here? Good. All right. Uh, Angela Dawkins fought Priest in an Elimination Chamber qualifying match. This started right after the brawl. Dawkins pounced Priest clean over the announce table in a really cool moment. Priest came back with a broken arrow and a flatliner. Dawkins countered South of Heaven into a silencer and then hit a fucking swanton bomb. Angela Dawkins, swanton bomb for a false finish. Priest came back with a roundhouse kick and then added South of Heaven for the win. This was some tremendous big man wrestling with powerful and athletic spots go really going both ways. Priest was the obvious winner. He needed to win the match, but Dawkins arrow. I mean, it continues to point all the way up. He impresses more and more with each passing week. It is absolutely incredible what losing that weight and just dedicating himself and putting that effort in has done. You got to remember about Angela Dawkins. This is a guy. I don't know the exact 
time. But he was in the performance center for like, I don't know, three, four years doing nothing. They finally put him in the Street Profits, got over on NXT, and he was always seen, well, he's the Marty Jannetty and Montez Ford is the Shawn Michaels. No, they're two Shawn Michaels. I mean, I don't think either of them is Shawn Michaels, of course, but they're both potential singles stars or very competent, capable singles wrestlers. I'd compare them maybe a little bit more to the Hardy Boys is probably the best example. Both of them should be, and I think will be, mid-card champions at a minimum. Ford does have the world championship ceiling, but to see Dawkins continue to improve despite all this time in WWE, it is so impressive and it shows you exactly what you can get with a high-level work ethic. So credit to Dawkins. This was good for an opening match. Two deserving contenders, and yes, the right person in Priest won. The funny thing is, uh, is that I don't, I don't actually hear anybody calling Dawkins the Genetti. I only hear it people saying, "Is uh, the only thing you hear now is people saying other people are saying that that Dawkins is the Genetti." Well, because not, it happened he, for three years where he was called it, that. He's he's Long gotten time. he's got. Well, it, it's been almost three years, like since we kind of moved past that. No, 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 that's not true. Well, it was not until he lost it's the been, weight. It's been a while. It was not until he lost the weight and started performing at this level that people stopped saying that. And that's been about a year. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's been about a, a year that that uh, we hear that. My thought, great match, really fun match. And it was nice to see Dawkins in that spot and shine. And a reminder that you can put these guys in singles matches without having to break up the tag team or something. Yes, like and that. not just them. Everyone in tag teams can do that. Yes. And him wrestling without the jersey up top, he looked more like a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And my thought was like, man, this guy can still put on a lot of muscle. Like he looked pretty good. He can look a lot better. He's got like this big, broad shoulders. Yeah, he has like the this frame. Guy, yeah. yeah, he's got the frame, everything you'd want there. So um, it made sense for Priest to win. I kind of wanted to see, Daw- I'd love to see Dawkins and Ford together in Elimination Chamber, mm-hmm. like face to face if they have to, but um, still a good match. So let's talk about the other qualifier, which was Montez Ford against Elias. Austin Theory was on commentary. Elias backdropped Ford onto the top of the steel steps and then took him out with an electric chair into a sit-down powerbomb. It was a pretty nice spot. Montez came back with a froggy crossbody and kipped up into a standing moonsault. Then he hit a massive tope over the ring post and a sky-high frog splash to advance into the chamber. Theory stood on the announce table posing after the bell when Seth Rollins tripped him in like a drive-by and then hit the stomp at ringside with a top-tier sell by Theory on the stomp. He sells the stomp better than anyone ever has. It's great. Now, this match started slow, and the crowd was kind of sitting on its hands, but business really picked up, and Ford's athleticism got them loud and cheering in the finish. The Rollins post-match attack was an awesome capper, really, to the entire thing. It was unexpected, and it got a big pop, and Montez was obviously the right winner, as we expected last week, probably not as strong, actually, bell to bell as the other qualifier, but definitely still good. And I do believe there's a chance Ford ends up being the MVP of the Elimination Chamber match when all is said and done. I give this a, a light good. The crowd was dead for this because it was right after the Cody Heyman segment. Mm-hmm. So, like, understandably, there was, <laughs> it was going to be hard to follow up that um, but I think you throw in theory, you throw in Rollins appearance to kind of like bring it back, you know, br- br- bring the energy back, which it did. Uh, so, yeah, that was good. That was exciting. Kind of, uh, again, a lot of different things going on around Austin Theory, similar to Roman Reigns, and he's handling it well. I liked I liked Austin Theory showing up to the 
to to the arena and the in the really nice car and everything like it, it all they're they're building stuff around him very well which is what was needed when he was no longer just the selfie guy Rey Mysterio and New Day were doing a NASCAR promotional deal at a racetrack when Judgment Day walked up for like a confrontation literally on the track they argued and the Mysterios ended up racing with Dom asking for freaking Nas and a booster seat for his dad which popped me uh, it was super corny and cut up. Ray won. Dom threw his helmet. They got separated. As a non-racing fan, the only person I knew in this entire segment was Michael Waltrip, and that's purely by name only. I didn't even know that's what he looked like. It's really tough to grade like a purely promotional piece, and I don't know that we need to, and I wasn't going to. However, Dom was freaking hysterical in this like little kind of video package, vignette, whatever you want to call it. So I'm going to give it a good because, look, this guy's still early in his career and he has the chicken shit heel character almost completely nailed. If you're going to do a cross promotion type of thing, like this is how you do it. Like this is this was fun. It slightly advanced the story. It made sense. Like you could see them doing this. Oh, Fox is going to have wrestlers drive the cars. Oh, and they get in a, a scuffle mm-hmm. the thing follows up on the on the Thanksgiving and the Christmas and, and you know, these things like it all fits. It makes sense. It like this was a much more natural, you know, brand synergy type of thing than Mountain Dew Pitch Black, which it was it's a sponsorship. It's a little bit different. I get it. But um, I, I really like this. This was great. Ricochet and Braun Strowman fought Imperium in the tag team tournament final. Ricochet got a hot tag with a standing shooting star press and handspring elbow. After a tope outside into Imperium, Gunther and Rick shoved each other with Gunther ejected from ringside and chased off by Strowman. That left Rick exposed for a high-low false finish. He took a beating after that until a Braun hot tag. The faces hit a monster bomb and assisted Senton off of Strowman's shoulders for the win huge baby face pop after the bell. Imperium is clearly the better tag team, both in kayfabe and reality. But for undisputed heel champions like the Usos, the faces here were the right winners. It's notable that this match will be for the undisputed titles next week. Let's not forget they did one Raw title match and one SmackDown title match for the tag team belts. Now they're doing the undisputed title match. It was a fun match. It got plenty of time. I have no designs on Rick and Strowman winning. And Ricochet obviously is an easy person to take the fall, uh, but he's been booked well. Braun's been booked well. The crowd loves them. And I do think it's going to be a hot match. But this segment on Friday was good. Good segment. Look, big guy, little guy, so to speak, tag teams like always work like like that. Just it, it makes sense. Match was great. Shout out to those guys. I wish it was just for the SmackDown tag titles and not the undisputed, because if it was, I believe more that they had a chance like Maybe Jay doesn't show up. Maybe Jay does something and costs them. They lose the SmackDown titles, mm-hmm. but they still have the Raw titles or something like that. Even though I know the Usos have had the SmackDown titles a lot longer, it, it, it's still like I could have believed it now. Obviously, they're, they're not. Yeah, you'd really want it to be the other way if you were going to yeah, do that. Yeah, right. Um, so overall, the tournament was kind of weird to do around the Royal Rumble and then the convoluted stuff with the Banger Bros and the mm-hmm. Viking Raiders. I feel like you could have just planned this out better from the start, but... Ultimately, look, we got a number one contender. It's a fun team. They've gotten better because of this tournament and showing up late and what they've done. Uh, so it, it, it all works out. It's good. We had a SmackDown Women's Championship match. Charlotte Flair defending against Sonya Deville. Backstage before the match, Flair said the Rhea Ripley match will be epic. Uh, Deville trashed Greenville. It was all really basic. 
As the, for the match itself, Flair got nearly all the offense and only sold briefly off her own mistakes, aside from a cool lifted knee off the second rope from DeVille. Charlotte hit a cartwheel lariat that just needs to get retired and never used again because it's just like her like double moonsault. It is not fluid at all. I'm not sure anyone could make it work, but Charlotte cannot make it work. Uh, Sonya got boots up on a moonsault and failed to use the ropes for leverage. Flair finally rolled through a sunset flip, countering into the figure eight for the submission win and title retention. Babyface champions don't really need to work from under as much as like other faces, but Flair being so dominant and substantial in her blows, plus her overall style, it just makes her, for me at least, really tough to buy as anything other than a heel. And if that's my own bias, fine. The fans seem to accept the change, but they haven't necessarily been as enthusiastic about it as they were outside of her return, which was a surprise. There was nothing wrong with this, but I got to say on a show that I was really positive across Raw and SmackDown up and down, I had to find a couple things that weren't going to get graded good. And this is one of them for me. I'm going to go bad simply because I was bored all match. And at the end, I was just like, I never want to see them interact or wrestle with each other ever again. And there's been numerous feuds historically, John Cena and The Miz and so many other feuds that just go on and on and on. But I never at the end say, well, that entire thing was boring and I never want to see that again. But that was my thought coming out of this match. I never want to see them again. Yeah, I give it a bad two. I've been incredibly bored by every segment between these two, which is not a statement about them individually. I think, you know, Sonya has done some really good stuff in the past. Mm -hmm. She has just not found a character that works ever since she became a full-time wrestler again. She's not believable and, as a contender. All she does is lose. And and that's also in part because she was so good in the authority role. Like mm-hmm. she nailed that thing so well that the wrestler stuff just isn't clicking as much because it feels like a step down. She used to have power. Now she doesn't have power. We don't take her as seriously. Charlotte is Charlotte. I don't, I don't like her new theme. I don't like, I don't care for her as a face. It's kind oh, of the theme, whatever. So. It's kind of just whatever for me. I think Rhea's going to get the crowd behind her when the two of them kind of start doing their thing. So we kind of just wait until then. And it's kind of very Charlotte right now. Yeah. Uh, So let's go stay with the women. Let's get to the Elimination Chamber qualifying matches. We had Shayna Baszler against Shotzi, Zelina Vega, and Natalia in the first Fatal 4-Way. Zelina hit a Canadian Destroyer appropriately on Natty. Baszler then took her out with a lifted knee, sold as the move that broke her nose a few months ago. Shotzi had a tope suicida on Shayna. Zelina followed with a moonsault that busted open Shotzi's mouth. Vega broke a sharpshooter on Shotzi with a bulldog, only to eat an underhook German suplex. Shayna knocked out Zelina with a Kirifuda clutch, but Natty interfered just in time and tapped out Vega to take the chamber spot. The match was fine. The result for me, underwhelming. Shotzi would have been the perfect chamber match competitor, and Zelina looked to be on her way to getting a mini push coming out of the Rumble. But Michael Cole, in the finish, reminded immediately that the chamber is in Montreal. And that makes the decision to put a Canadian in the match, not just a Canadian, a heart. Look, it makes it understandable. And credit to Natty, too, because she returned from her recovery in the best shape that we have seen her in years, maybe a decade. It was a missed opportunity to put over a younger talent, sure. But again, it's in Canada. And if you were going to put a veteran in the match, it's understandable that you put a Canadian and a heart in it. 
I'm giving it a good overall because the match was quality. It just wouldn't have been the person that I'd put in the match. Yeah, you kind of knew it was going to play out that way. I did like the finish, the finishing sequence where mm-hmm. uh, Zelina took a few different uh, submissions and Natty ran in there real quick, got the sharpshooter on quick and got the tap out. Like you don't really see a quick sharpshooter. They're usually kind of dragged out for dramatic effect. I actually did really like the finish. Um, look, Canada, Natty, I get it. It's fine. I would have really liked to see somebody else. I think Zelina uh, has been interesting since she's come back with Legato. Would like her to, she can do a lot of different things. Would like to see her get some more, but kind of is what it is. This was, I give this a light, light, light good. Like it was fine and I wasn't horribly bored, um, but you knew it was going to happen at the end. So let's flip over to Raw for the other qualifier, Candice LeRae, Mia Yim, Carmella, and Piper Niven. Mella came out fully back in her Princess of Staten Island character, gear, theme, all of it. Candice had a great Poison Rana on Mi Chin with Piper hitting a running splash on all three women that got a major reaction. Mi Chin nailed Mella with Eat the Feet. Candice hit Piper with a beautiful springboard moonsault. Piper then caught Mi Chin with a boss man slam. Candice ate a Bronco Buster from Mella and then a cannonball from Piper with Mella super kicking Piper and then pinning Candice to advance. Now, there's no doubt that Mella looked good in her return match. Mella looked good, but she's got me saying, hey now! But combined with Natalia winning on SmackDown, these were by far the most uninspired final two chamber entrants. Now, I presume Piper was kept out to protect her from taking a loss in the chamber because you do have to get pinned or submitted in there, and, and I'm guessing they didn't want that to happen. But she got the best reactions in this qualifier, and could have been protected by just finisher spam inside the structure. One of Piper, Shotzi, Candice, or Mi Chin should have been in this match. If the other spot was going to go to a veteran in particular, then one of those four should have taken the other spot. And again, Natalia being in the match meant then you give it to one of the younger Raw women. Piper, Shotzi, and Candice in particular all have hardcore bona fides. It's a hardcore extreme style match. They should be in it. Now, despite my disagreement with the booking, though, this match, Chris, was a blast and the women looked great in the ring. Like I said, combined with the cage match with Becky Lynch and Bailey, this was the best women's wrestling top to bottom we've had on any main roster show in a long time. The match was good. The decision was not. But hey, shit happens. This match ruled and... Piper Nevin rules mm-hmm. like we knew really? that as Dewdrop, like when she got her opportunities against Bianca and stuff. But man, she like she is awesome. She is everything they wanted Nia Jax to be mm-hmm. and, more. and so much more. Yeah, like the, 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 the backstage promo afterward, like she can talk, she can do power moves. She's got speed. She can do everything like I, I'm glad she got her name back. She got this repackaging. Really would have loved to see her in the Elimination Chamber. I just wanted to shot her out. She lost here, but man, she is so good and needs to be at the top of the women's division very mm-hmm. soon. To your point about about uh, Carmella winning, like these are the six women in the Chamber match now. Asuka, Liv, Nikki Cross, Raquel Rodriguez, Natalia, Carmella. Other than Raquel, it's a lot of familiar names. It would this would in a six person match, it would have been a really fun opportunity to put some different people in these spots um, who maybe a a new Piper Nevin, maybe some of the newer, younger women or just 
fresher faces. Shotzi. Shotzi could have been one. Yeah, it just it feels like it's a lot of the same people we've seen. All of these are former women's champions except for Raquel, which she has an NXT women's championship, but not a main roster. Yeah, which in theory is like a good thing. Oh, look at all these former women's champions we got in here. But like, I just I would have liked some more fresh blood in, Mm -hmm. in that match. Yeah, it's fair. But, Carme- again, but Carmella looked great. She's great to see her back. I think she's really talented and really good. She's improved so much as a wrestler over the years. Um, but like, I really would love to see Piper win this. Yeah, you're right. And, and again, Natalia being in it is fine. You're in Canada. You have to put her on the show. I get it. No issue. I like Carmella. I credit her for looking, like you said, good. Like she was looked good in the ring. She looked refreshed, different. Uh, the character that we like of her versus all the ones that we don't. Like it's all a positive trajectory. For Carmella, that's great. Yep. I would have brought her back in the Rumble and just done that and then left her out of this. And it just she didn't need to be in this match. And again, it's nothing about her. It's about the other women getting opportunities. Hopefully, though, they all have more opportunities as this road to WrestleMania continues. Now, before that match, Johnny Gargano was getting Candice pumped up backstage when Dexter Loomis gave her a drawing for good luck. There was a woman in the corner of the picture that I thought, because I didn't really get a good look at it, I thought it was Indy Hartwell, and I was like, oh my God, they're bringing her in, this is going to be great, but it was actually Nikki Cross, who was revealed to be stalking them, and then ran off nervously when Candice spotted her behind them. And then later, after the match, Piper tried to bully Candice for costing her when Meechan came to Larray's aid, and I wanted to point all of this out with a grade, because it's good for a change to see women's storylines being developed away from titles or contention of a title. It's quite possible even, they might be setting up two women's tag teams, Piper and Nikki, which is natural and would be fantastic as a women's tag team, and Candice and Mi Chin, which we've already seen a couple inklings of that happening. So I talked about this being a great night for the women. It wasn't just the quality of matches. They focused on them with backstage segments and storytelling, and they felt like a major part of the show, which they had not felt like for a long time. It was very funny that the picture had Nikki like peeking behind the corner and then the camera turns and mm-hmm. she's peeking behind the corner. Like, I just that that popped me right there. I don't know what to, to make of it, but look, it's something interesting. It's something uh, different for Nikki Cross. She I think she's a lot better in this kind of character. She's kind of just been floating around ever since she got rid of the Nikki A.S.H. stuff. So uh, I don't know where it goes, but that segment backstage and everything was was fun. Maximum Male Models signed Raw contracts backstage. When Chelsea Green interrupted again, dissatisfied with all of her accommodations, she complained about not being in the chamber match. Adam Pierce pointed out she lasted five seconds in the Rumble, so Green threatened to call his manager if he didn't give her some type of opportunity on the show. Then she later told Pierce when he didn't give her anything, she was going to go to the ring and she demanded an opponent, and she got an opponent. It was Asuka. So we had Asuka against Chelsea. Green was obviously furious when Asuka entered. The rest of the women's chamber competitors randomly watched from ringside when Asuka distracted early. She got distracted early by that. Then Green got distracted talking trash to all of them, really for no reason. Asuka annihilated her from there on and won with a butterfly submission. Bianca Belair entered after the finish, putting over the women and doing the WrestleMania sign point. Good amount to unpack here. First with MMM. There's more time on Raw, so moving them made a lot of sense. With Chelsea, I'm down for the gimmick and everything. It does feel about two years behind trend, and she needs to do more than just repeat, I want to speak with your manager over and over. Like She needs to find the gimmick and the character a little bit more 
than just saying that line. Third, Asuka is so damn cool now. She has the only remix theme out of this entire bunch that actually works, and the crowd loved her as a surprise opponent. And lastly, the chamber setup, it just felt forced, like Bel Air is ice cold due purely to WWE's booking, and there was really no reason for the women to all be at ringside when they didn't know Asuka was going to be the opponent until she made her entrance. That could have all happened after the bell where they all just came out after the match ended. I did like Belair bringing up the fact that she won the chamber match last year and was in the same position. That was smart to call back to it. Marginal good overall because we got character development and we got an Oscar win. Going back to the very beginning of this, when Chelsea first comes up to Adam Pierce and says, are you the manager? And Pierce goes, you know who I am. We just did this last week. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was funny. It was great. And they moved. They moved past it uh, pretty quickly. Um, Chelsea coming out to enormously piped in booze. Like it was very obviously like the fake booze are, are back for these situations. There's no way. There's no way Orlando has that strong of feelings about. No, it was uh, it was like Chelsea an establishment pipe. And it's like she's new. So we want to tell you how to feel about her initially. Yeah, it was just, it was very obvious because it was quite loud. But uh, I, I liked also that she didn't immediately come in and like lose in 15 seconds. Like like you could so picture that happening in the past of like, oh, I want a match. Oh, no, I got a match and I'm done. Like she got a little bit of offense in. She got to trash talk a little bit. Then she gets her ass kicked like that all worked great. If, you, if the women coming down around Asuka in the match, does it make sense? Not really. But I also kind of understand it from the standpoint of Asuka's the favorite, like everyone knows she's just the favorite for the match. So like they want to keep an eye on her. Maybe they want to attack her afterward. I don't know. Uh, so I, I like this. I thought this all worked out well. And Asuka continues to look awesome with her repackaging as well. And yes, she is the heavy, heavy favorite uh, in this for a reason. And the old Kana look and everything is awesome. Yeah, as she should be, by the way, the favorite going into this match without really much of a question at all. Uh, we had Dexter Loomis against Baron Corbin. The crowd got into Loomis's moveset a little bit. And out of absolutely nowhere, he beat Corbin squeaky clean in the center of the ring with a falling Uranagi. It was so sudden and unexpected that it actually popped the crowd a little bit. And Loomis definitely, I thought, opened some eyes despite not being on screen much. And after the bell, JBL gave Corbin like a death stare, just daggers into the back of his head. Then later backstage, Corbin was ready to go get dinner when JBL said, there ain't no we anymore because JBL was must watch when he was a wrestler and Corbin is a channel changer. He said, Corbin is ruining JBL's legacy. Corbin begged him to reconsider. And JBL said, you can't polish a turd before leaving. Now, when we saw the match finish, I figured, oh, they're going to play this out over a couple of weeks. No, they're doing it right now. It seems as if bum ass Corbin, or at least a similar version of that is on its way back. And that is fantastic news because Bumass ended way too soon. And if they had kept up with it, we talked about this. Corbin may have actually been able to turn babyface, which is what he needs to revitalize his career. The entire JBL partnership has been a big loser. So this gave me hope, not only because it may be a Corbin downward spiral storyline, but because it's an indication that Triple H is willing to pull the plug when ideas don't pan out. So even though this was like a marginal type of segment, I gave it a good for overall development. Yeah, I give this a, it was a good. Like everything JBL said was true. And I don't know what happens next. Bombass Corbin would be a letdown. But like why would Bombass Corbin be a letdown? 
because I hated that character. Like, it, it, you I, hated I, Bob Ass Corbin. It was okay for like a couple of weeks, and then it, then it kind of. Oh, I loved it. I, I think it's universally loved. It, I'm not not, not it, that you have to agree with everyone. But. It was good, but then but then when because it, it was. Is bum-ass Corbin? Yeah, that was when Pat McAfee was calling him that, right? Well, that's the name of it, but the entire gimmick was with him being down on his luck, losing all his money. Yes. So, so yes, when, when that happened, yeah, okay, now I remember. When that happened, I for like two weeks, I was like, he can become a babyface off of this. Like, this will be really interesting. But then, you know, he's trying to buy the money in the bank briefcase and all these things. And then it just kind of kind of turned into a comedy spot. Then Drew McIntyre shit on him. I think I was like, that's kind of mean. They didn't they didn't land it. So if you redo this and you go to back to bum ass Corbin and you spin that to like turn him into a face somehow and make people feel bad for him, it can definitely work because he needs to do something different. He's been a heel forever. He's been the same general kind of heel forever. Right. Really would like him to do something else. I'm glad JBL got this moment to basically say this, say what all of us have been feeling throughout this whole thing. It hasn't worked. So there is, uh, this was a good, and there is some optimism moving forward, uh, but there are past issues you can't repeat. Yeah. We had a cigar man at Chef Aaron 26 right in. He said, can the lone wolf gimmick propel Corbin back to not only being a serious wrestler, but a main event talent at this point? I think we all agree that was his best gimmick. I find it unbelievable Corbin has never held a major WWE title. Before I answer this, do you know what the Lone Wolf gimmick is? Did you ever watch NXT? Yes. That was my favorite Corbin when he just okay. shit on all the indie wrestlers. <laughs> I hate all these small flippy guys. And like that him and um, him and I forgot who it was against Chad Gable and him and Rhino, I think against Gable Maybe. and against against um, Alpha. Um, Jordan. I was going to say Alpha Academy, um, American Alpha. American Alpha. That was one of my favorite NXT matches ever back in the day. Uh, so yeah, no, I remember that Corbin and I like that. Corbin. Well, what's interesting is like, there's no doubt that Lone Wolf was his best gimmick. And as you can tell, based on what I said, I didn't think of this as Lone Wolf, but rather a version of the bomb ass Corbin character. The problem with Lone Wolf is it's too similar to what he's been doing. I know more of what he's been doing recently is chicken shit heel and based about money and all that but it's a pure heel gimmick. Corbin needs a drastic change to find his footing again. And they really should find a way to make him a babyface if they can. It's really the only way to salvage him. But technically, now that he's alone, I guess Lone Wolf is possible. And if they were able to make that work, I mean, look, WWE is going back to a lot of old NXT gimmicks. They're doing it with Carmella. They are doing it with Rick Boogs, who we're going to talk about in a minute. They theoretically could do it here with Baron Corbin as well and go back to Lone Wolf with the spotlight and that incredible music. They probably won't be able to use that. Um, I mean, I love Lone Wolf Corbin, and I did think Lone Wolf Corbin had a chance to be a major WWE champion as a transitional type of guy. But it really just feels like with Corbin right now, that ship has kind of sailed. Yeah, We'll see. I, I, he's a very talented guy. They just, they, like you said, it's got to be a dramatic change. He's been in the same rut for a long time. Alpha Academy fought Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander in the background during the Corbin segment that I mentioned. MVP was there breaking bread with Benjamin and Alexander. They all seemed to come to an agreement. Otis caught Shelton midair in the match for a world's strongest slam. Cedric had an electric hot tag with a handspring head kick, but got caught with a tope suicida for an exploder suplex at ringside, plus a flying headbutt by Chad Gable inside. Otis ate two pump knees and a Samoan drop from Shelton before Gable missed a moonsault, getting caught with the lumbar check by Alexander for the one, two, three. 
I think you all know who listen to this podcast, I am an unabashed mark for Cedric Alexander, who, by the way, had one of the greatest themes in modern WWE history taken away from him. Seeing him show out majorly in this match, working with Gable after that hot tag, hitting the lumbar check, no one on commentary knew the name of his finisher, probably because they haven't seen him hit it in years, and get the win here was awesome. His chain with Gable was fantastic. I'd like to see that one-on-one, and obviously, we have the beginnings of a revamped Hurt Business coming through. That's all positive. This was good in every way. That was a good yes. one, yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot if you mentioned it or not, but during that whole Corbin segment, we yeah, saw MVP talking to him in the back. And, and so there was a weird part during the match where commentary, at the end of the match, commentary is like, basically, like, what is what is this partnership with MVP? And I was like, what are you talking about? They were in the Hurt together. Right. Like, we know what the circumstances are. So uh, step in the right direction. Um, continues to kind of lean toward that. And I, I, again, I like that they're kind of slow playing it a bit. I thought for sure her business was going to lose here. This happened a couple weeks ago. Instead, they got the win. So it's a good step forward. Uh, Bray Wyatt was on a rocking chair watching projected images on a screen when suddenly a hand fell on his shoulder and Uncle Howdy spun around staring into the camera. It was 30 seconds. And at first, I wasn't even going to grade this. But it was quite a lackluster follow-up given it's one of five matches that were on the Royal Rumble card and the only one that did not progress at all on the weekly shows. I mean, look how late we're mentioning Bray Wyatt on this show. This was bad. Don't care until something else happens. Great. My great is I don't care. <laughs> uh, the Brawling Brutes fought the Viking Raiders. Ridge hit an impressive Alabama slam on Ivar. Butch followed with a hurricanrana off the ropes, but Ivar on the canvas caught Butch flying, stood up with Butch in his arms, and hit Ragnarok for the win. Butch did an extended sell in the finish as Sheamus and Drew McIntyre confronted the Raiders on the stage for a mini beatdown. Expected result, perfectly acceptable one given the faces were allowed to look competitive prior to losing. It seems like we might get a blow-off match for this feud on the go-home SmackDown to Elimination Chamber. If they do that, that would allow them time to get into the WrestleMania match, presumably against Gunther. Not a notable match, but I thought it was good overall. Agree. I don't really have much else to say about that, but just everything solid, good stuff. Uh, the Miz backstage was still angry about Rick Boogs, who exited Pierce's office all excited. Miz said he'd have won easily if he was in his ring gear last week. Pierce opened the door and heard Miz call him lazy and incompetent, with Miz walking right into a rematch next week. Boogs called himself Thick Rick, which I will admit made me chuckle. It was also nice to hear Boogs speak normally for a change. Provisional good. I was not enthusiastic by what we saw last week, but. Maybe it'll be okay. This segment was a light good. Biggest thing that stuck out to me was that Boogs' shirt was him with long hair. And it reminded me, oh, yeah, I forgot he has short hair, and I wish he had grown it out again in the time that he was away. But I guess we're sticking with short hair Boogs. I never understood why they got rid of it. Um, but this was a funny segment, so a light good. Definitely. Now, that is the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to move into our final segment, the last word. But after that, we actually have two breaking news items that developed while we were taping this podcast. First, let's get to the last word sound drop for this to come in the future. If anyone has any ideas, send them our way. Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. Hey there, I like the last word segment. We actually heard from a bunch of you that you like the segment. So I'm glad that is the case. Here's a two-part question for you two first. What is your guys' prediction for the Super Bowl this Sunday? So uh, I pick NFL games. Uh, many of you know that who follow my personal Twitter account at Silverstein Adam. I am not picking this game yet because I do not know the status of Kansas City's playmakers, particularly their wide 
receivers. I don't know who's going to be active and who's not. I'll make a prediction towards the end of the week. At full strength, I'm kind of leaning toward the Chiefs. Andy Reid is undefeated against the Eagles since joining Kansas City. Without them, I might lean towards the Eagles, which have been the best team of the NFL all season long. So I'm right on the edge. It is kind of a coin toss game, I will say. Uh, I'm not going to give you my final prediction until we get closer. Maybe Chris will. I'm going the Eagles. Um, I mean, they're one and a half point favorites. I would, I don't really bet on sports, but I would take that in a heartbeat. I just think they've been, like we said, dominant from start to finish. Basically, they are a complete team. There's not a weakness on this team. Yeah. Uh, Mahomes has the ankle injury. You got some other stuff with the Kansas City Playmakers. Um, I just think Philadelphia's just been primed for this moment. It does feel like it's the Eagles' year. But again, Casey, they're not going to be at full strength. McCole Hardman, I believe, is out on injured reserve. He's out for the season. But if they get all the rest of the playmakers healthy and back, we'll find out later this week. It may sway me. I think the line will sway. It'll probably come down to a single point, maybe a half. Pick them. Um, But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Second part of his question, who would you guys see winning in a tag team match between the team of Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey with Andy Reid in their corner versus Jalen Hurts with Jason Kelsey and Nick Sirianni in their corner. So, you know, Hertz and Jason Kelsey have the size advantage, but yeah. there's something to be said for a team that knows how to work well together, which is what Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey do better than perhaps any quarterback tight end duo in NFL history. So I would definitely pick Mahomes and Kelsey. I think I would too, as well, because of the quickness, but by the way, we didn't talk about it. Remember uh, after the, um, Chiefs won the AFC Championship game. Oh, Travis God, Kelsey yeah. Called out the mayor of Cincinnati and said, know your role and shut your mouth. You're, you're jabroni. jabroni so like, yeah. the, between him and George Kittle, there are a lot of uh, wrestling fans in uh, in pro football. And I'm sure Triple H is super excited to send out that WWE Championship belt to, to whoever wins. Oh, yeah. It. They're going to either, whichever team wins it is going to absolutely love it. And Kelsey will pro- he'll probably ask for his own, like, you know, personal and to hold. It's a fun reminder that a major reason we have the current championship belts the way they do in Correct. WWE is because 10 years ago when the Packers won that Super Bowl and Aaron Rodgers was up on the stage getting the trophy, he was wearing the old world heavyweight championship, big old WCW belt. Mm-hmm. And nobody, it looked just like a generic belt. And WWE realized, hey, we got to put our logo on our belts, big and obvious, and give those out to everybody. And, and they re- give them out and every single time the athletes wear them and show them at the parades and on the field. Yep. It is great marketing for WWE. And you're right. That is exactly the reason they have those straps. The Kelsey moment was incredible at the end of the AFC championship when he called out, um, the uh, the mayor and George Kittle did a choke slam and some wrestling moves during the Pro Bowl this week as well. WWE, mm. I don't know what the delay is. They got to figure out a way to get George Kittle on their TV. And he, yes. he sent a message on Twitter. He said, I'm available for WrestleMania week. Figure out a way to get him at WrestleMania. I don't care what he does. He has to do something. There is a huge waste, wasted opportunity. Speaking of big shows, Chris, two news items on the way out here. First, the happy item, and then we'll get to the potentially sad item second. Uh, WWE announced during this show, SummerSlam will officially be held in Detroit, Michigan at Ford Field on Saturday, August 5th. So once again, Chris gets a major pay-per-view somewhere. <laughs> and I, I know you don't live there, but somewhere where, you know, you did you grow up in Michigan or or did you go, just go to college in Michigan? I grew up in Detroit and I've already uh, the, the rumors were about going on about Detroit the last week or so. And I'm 
uh, trying to go to this the summer with my dad and my brother. So between Texas and Michigan, Chris gets to go to every major show that he wants to, basically. And the Silver King sitting here in South Florida can't go to shit. Now, I know there have been plenty of WrestleManias down here in Miami. I'm not saying I don't get anything. But it's been a long time, folks. I haven't been to a wrestling event in like four years at this point. I'm tired of it. I want to go put a big show in Miami or South Florida or a big enough show in Orlando where I'll consider making a three-hour drive. Very frustrating, but big news for people in Michigan and SummerSlam at Ford Field. That is going to be fantastic. I think it's the first SummerSlam there in 30 years or something like that. And it's the first major event there since a WrestleMania, I think. Yeah, WrestleMania 23 was there, along with obviously WrestleMania 3 at the Pontiac Silverdome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd for, I always forget that Detroit had a SummerSlam, but just in general, getting this event out to cities that haven't maybe had a big pay-per-view in a while uh, is awesome. So that is really cool. And lastly, you know, unfortunately, ending the show on a bit of a somber note, but of course, we're hopeful uh, for a nice outcome here. Uh, numerous le- wrestling legends posted on Twitter while we've been on this show, that WWE Hall of Famer Jerry the King Lawler um, was rushed to the hospital yesterday in Florida. And WMC TV out of Memphis is now reporting that Lawler suffered a stroke yesterday. And, And of course, there's no comments from WWE or Lawler's family. But here at Getting Over, we, of course, wish him and his family the best as he hopefully gets better, recovers, and is back to full strength. Jerry, obviously, he's consistently still a part of WWE. He's on all the kickoff panels. He does a lot of other stuff. He was just at Raw 30. Um, You know, he's someone that I've watched in professional wrestling my entire journey watching wrestling. Uh, We had the major scare with him having the heart attack on air on Raw a number of years ago. He seems to have recovered from that. He's even wrestled again. Uh, But for him to now suffer a stroke as he's advancing in his age, we just wish them the best and hope he recovers fully. And not that it's important to have him on TV, but I hope he recovers fully to the point that we see him at WrestleMania weekend or something like that. Yeah, the report uh, from WMC in Memphis says he has undergone surgery and is recovering. Good. So Good news. hopefully that means it's he's past the hard part, but we will wait and see. Also, yeah, he had the heart attack in 2012 on TV. He also had a stroke in 2018 uh, as well. Oh, I didn't realize that he had a stroke a few years ago, so. Second stroke in, you know, a handful of years. And certainly just once again, as we close things out here, we wish Jerry the King Lawler and his family the absolute best. That unfortunately is a somber note that we're ending this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast on. But on the way out, allow me to quickly remind you a few things first that this podcast is all about So please leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget, leave a five-star written review for us on Apple Podcasts. And if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And one last thing, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, and so much more. Thanks again to Chris for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. It is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. 